Well, welcome to week number three in our series that we have entitled Character References. I want to mention a couple of things as we begin. If you've missed one of the first couple of messages, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it because James really does build from week to week on uh, on in our study. So uh, this is our third week. The first week was an introduction and then we've had two weeks in the text and this is week number three. So let's review where we've been. James, uh, the author of this epistle and the half-brother of Jesus, uh, is writing to the church which is under tremendous persecution. This is happening in about A.D. 45, one of the earliest New Testament books written. And James is writing in the context that, that this, this great persecution, uh, he's saying basically there, there's no time for discussion. Uh, there's no time for a focus group. There's no time to uh, have a philosophy discussion or talk about theology. We are in the midst of one of the greatest times of persecution imaginable under Claudius. There are boycotts against Christians, imprisonment, uh, beatings, and even death. Uh, it, the context of that, if you remember when we looked at uh, a clip from, um, uh, from uh, the uh, movie... Um, Bombs falling. Pearl Harbor, of course. Bombs falling and bullets flying all around us. This is the context in which uh, James is writing his epistle. Christians are being carried away on stretchers. And in that context, uh, James is hearing questions from the believers from the church that cry out saying, what do we do now? How do we survive? Is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for the church? James says at these times, character is most important. In these times, the kind of quality of man or woman that you are, your character traits determines whether or not you can face these tests and overcome these trials. You have to be able to experience life in the context of persecution to really know what that means. So, that's the context of what uh, James was writing in. Then the first week we looked at what does it mean, character trait, to face trials and flee temptations, two weeks ago. And we talked about, the, the text says that we are drawn away, we are enticed, it's a, a fishing term, we are enticed when we are drawn away by our own evil desire. And we talked about a designer bait, the enemy puts this designer bait right in front of our nose and, uh, and then we are drawn away by our own evil desire. It's when our desire attaches to that bait, by the way, it's bait, it's not food. <laughs> We've come to believe that it's food, but it's really bait, it's intended to harm us. And when that thing floats in front of our nose and we attach our strong desire to that bait, which is not food, Amos said, we are attracted to that which is not bread, right? When that is attached, that gives forth or that breeds or that gives life to sin. And when that sin is fully accomplished, that, light, that sin gives life to death. And when that death is the result of that strong desire and that thing which we have come to believe is food, but it is not, uh, when that gives birth, it uh, attaches itself to everything around us. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, facing trials and fleeing temptations. Then last week, uh, we talked about uh, the second character trait, 
which is a, 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 ber- a person in James Day or in our day, either one, uh, is one who acts on his beliefs. As last Sunday. Someone who lives what he believes. Someone whose life and words align. Someone who lives with congruity and integrity. Not just knowing the Word of God, and knowing the Word of God is a good thing, and we called that last week Revelation. It's not just knowing the Word of God, Revelation, but it is doing the Word of God, which is what? Transformation. Good. You listened last week. James says, in the midst of bombs falling and bullets flying, in the midst of Christians being carried off in stretchers, he says, this is a time to not talk about it, but it's a time to get in the game. And we use the word, because it comes from the original text, that we are not to audit our Christian life. An audit of the Christian life means that we learn all the information, we hear about all the stuff, we even agree, we nod our heads and say, yeah, that's right, I believe that, that's right. But we don't do anything about it. We, we must understand that information does not necessarily lead to transformation. Revelation does not always lead to transformation. We are to hear the Word of God. Yes, that's good. But we are also to do it. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now today, the character trait that James is calling us to as a person that is living and believing one's faith, one who is walking the walk, one who is talking the talk, the character trait for this week is one who shows no favoritism. One who shows no favoritism. That's why we showed you the clip of Remember the Titans. So let's read the text, uh, re- reminding us that, oh, but I want to remind you too that one of the other things that I've asked you to do is every week read the book of James. It's five chapters. Read it uh, one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. Take the weekends off, but read the chapter of James. If you do that, you will have read the, chap- the book of James 11 times by the time we finish this series. So that's another thing I wanted to encourage you to do. But here's, again, what James 1.22 says. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, let's look at the text. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Uh, the text in your bulletins or in your sermon notes is from the NIV, and that's also what we put up on the screen. Uh, hear now the word of God. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's very difficult language to hear. Verse five. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbors as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and, and are convinced by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do not commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over just judgment. Well, that's the text for today, and it's a hard word. Um, I, I, this isn't really a goal of mine, but it's probably going to happen. I, I just want to let you know up front, you're probably going to get offended at me, but uh, don't shoot the messenger, right? So just read James. So if you're offended, um, God bless you, because I'm offended too by what I'm about to say. Um, whether we like to admit it or not, we all suffer, at least to some extent, from the disease I will call this morning the paralysis of partiality. Now, the reason it's paralysis is because we tend to be frozen in it and we don't recognize it in ourselves. Now, this spiritual disease is commonly known as discrimination or favoritism or prejudice. It shows up everywhere. People who suffer from this disease usually exhibit an acute sense of snobbery and pride. People with this disease lose their ability to see and perceive people correctly. People with this disease have a tendency to speak in terms such as we and they. Now, we and theirs are ones who see everything in terms of me and my and people like me, people that think like me, believe like me, act like me, dress like me, look like me. We tend to think that those are the we's and everyone else outside of that circle are they's. That's what James is speaking to today. He said that's faulty way of thinking, that there's this we-they syndrome. These people with this disease evaluate others according to their race or face or rank or reputation. They have an uncanny ability to classify others in an instant, just like that. For instance, and this is the part where you're going to get offended. All rich people are snobs. All poor people are lazy. All Swedes eat lutefisk. Now, that you should be offended at that. All single black women with children are on welfare. All Native Americans are alcoholics. All Christians are right-wing fanatics. All Christians are bleeding-heart liberals. All Mexicans in Arizona are illegal aliens. All old people are closed-minded. All politicians are crooks. Well, that one may be true. <laughs> all Muslims are dangerous and are out to destroy infidels. All Egyptians are revolutionaries. All homeless people are addicted. All gay people are godless and dangerous around children. Did I forget anyone? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> all evangelicals are pushy, intolerant, and exclusive. Now, I probably offended everyone, and by your look, I think I've succeeded. So, that's good. James was speaking into a culture and climate where prejudice and discrimination was rampant. Jews hated Greeks. Greeks hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated the religious. 
The religious hated tax collectors. The tax collectors hated the pagans. The pagans uh, hated the females and the females hated the males. And back to the males, they hated everyone else. Any combination or permutation of these is what you would see in first century Jerusalem. Everyone hated everyone based on sex or religion or economic status or family tree. Sound familiar? James is saying, and he echoes the words of Jesus from the Beatitudes, that there is more to a person than the color of their skin or the size of their bank account or the location of their home or the designer label on their clothing or their title at work or their age or looks or weight or height or hairstyle. Their spiritual, this spiritual disease manifests itself when we measure people by externals. In fact, James says very bluntly, if you suffer from the disease of partiality, if you measure people by externals, James says you are sick. You have a problem. And your problem is sin. Now, again, don't shoot the messenger. Aren't you glad, just a side note, aren't you glad that this disease never infiltrates the church? (laughs) That Christians are immune from this? That we're immune from snobbery and discrimination and spiritual pride? Of course, I'm being sarcastic. This disease has infiltrated the church as it has the world. Now, in James' day, this was a tremendous problem. And he spoke to this in the midst of this great persecution that the church was facing in A.D. 45. So this morning, I want to look at this text in three sections. The first section, the first four verses... James identifies the problem. The second section, 5 to 11, he argues against the problem. And then in verses 12 and 13, he gives a solution to the problem. So here's the problem. In one word, it's favoritism. Verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, that's very clear. Let's try and understand what that means together. The word favoritism from the original Greek means to lift up the face. It means to see somebody, to lift up the face, examine them, and determine whether or not they are worthy based on how they look, based on the external, to lift up the face. It is with this bias and judgment in mind that James says to set value based on external circumstances is sin. It means to accept or reject someone by face value alone. James said it clearly. Don't judge by outward appearance. Now that's very clear in the text. I, one of the graces in my life is um, that there are generations of godly men and women, uh, Christian parents, grandparents, great-grandparents that go back, as far as we know, about five generations of people who loved the Lord and served Him. But that doesn't mean that our family tree was was without rotten fruit. Uh, There was a generational darkness in our family that was around this idea of discrimination. Now, my great-grandparents... And the one, I didn't know them well, but my grandparents I knew very well. They're raised in southern Illinois. And uh, even though it didn't, on the map it doesn't look like the south, it's the south. (laughs) And uh, in southern Illinois, there was a lot of uh, bigotry and racism. 
and discrimination. And my grandfather, growing up in that milieu, my grandfather became very bigoted against African-Americans. Now, Grandpa was a wonderful man, and he loved the Lord, and he was a good Southern Baptist. You know, back in the day, the Southern, all the good Southern Baptists, they would, as soon as church was over, they'd run out in the parking lot and light up their cigarettes, you know, especially if you're in the South. So he was a good Southern Baptist, and he loved the Lord, and he loved his family. But he had this um, generational darkness inside of him that meant to him that everybody that was African-American, and he didn't call them African-Americans, nor did he call them blacks, nor did he call them Negroes. Uh, he called them the N-word. And he, as far as he was concerned, they were a race of a, less, a, lesser, uh, a lesser kind. And, and, and that, that sounds weird, but that was, kind of a, that was kind of thought and believed for a couple hundred years. Uh, go back and they've done some, some mysterious um, manipulation of the Old Testament, thinking that somehow uh, East, uh, uh, you know, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, one of them went bad and one of them went good, Ishmael went bad, and somehow that ended up being the black or the African race. It's a ridiculous proposition, but many people during the Civil War years believed that. Why did they believe it? Because it was economically feasible to believe it. I mean, economics say that you've got to believe that slaves are less than you or else you can't have slaves. So you just have to believe that. Well, my grandfather was caught up in this. And I remember even as a teenager and a young man, I would say, Grandpa, how can you do that? Don't you realize that that's like the worst thing you can say to another human being by, 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 by labeling them in a way that's so detrimental and so derogatory? He said, well, that's just the way I am. Let me let me. Put the pause button here on, that's just the way I am. You know what? If you say that, that is a lame excuse. That is a lame... If you say, well, that's the way I was raised, or that's the way I am, get over it. The fact that you were raised that way, or you believe that way, doesn't make it right. So, Grandpa was that way. Loving in a lot of ways, but he had this generational darkness in him. Now, my father was better than my grandfather, and I hope that I'm better than my father, and my son's better than me. But my father... Uh, fought in World War II. He went in as a 16-year-old and uh, in 1943 was on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific and um, was around all races. And that's one thing the military does good is they kind of blur the whole race card thing. That's good. And uh, so when he got out of the Navy in 1946 as a 19-year-old veteran, you know, uh, um, he was better off than my grandfather. He'd seen a lot of things. He Saw a lot of hatred towards the Japanese and the Germans, and, uh, but yet it somehow managed to think that, well, okay, that's over, let's move on. I remember a time we were at the beach, I was just a small boy, maybe six, seven years old, and I'd heard somebody at school talk in a derogatory way about the Japs. That's the, that's the phrase they use, the Japs. You know, that was a very, that's like using the N-word. It was very derogatory, but I didn't know that. I was just a kid, and I said something about the Japs, and my dad, in a very tender, loving moment, you know, slapped me with the back of his hand. Uh, he was old school, you know. And I just got, by the way, I've got some of that in me, so don't make me mad, you know. I don't want to have to slap you. But, uh, but that, that kind of, and he said, when I picked myself up, he said, he said, the war's over. The war's over. In other words, okay, no, no, no more of that Jap talk. You know, that, that, so, so, so my dad was better than my grandfather. Hopefully I'm better. But, but this whole thing is something that is in American culture. And I hate it. And we all hate it. This, this sense that there's people at different levels based on the color of their skin or their religion or the jobs they do or the money they have or something like that. And the Bible says that 
if you believe that way, that's just evil. That's the word that James uses. The root word from the ancient oriental term of favoritism, which means to lift up the face, a king would go to a person, there would be a lineup of people that were in his kingdom. And he would go on, if he liked the looks of them, he would lift up their chin. And that means that they were able to serve in the palace and had a pretty good life. If he didn't like the look of you, he would push your chin down like that, which meant that you were sold into slavery and servitude, and it didn't matter whether you lived or died, because quite honestly, it doesn't matter. You, your face is simply down. So that, that's the root of that word. Chin up, chin down. Slave, life or death. So here we have an example, a good illustration in verses 2 to 4 of what James is talking about. And he uses a, 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 an example. He could have used a thousand examples, but he used an example that was pretty common in his day. And the thing is, it's kind of common in our day, too. So I'll contemporize it. You know the story. I'll contemporize it. Uh, this is verses 2 to 4. A rich guy drives up uh, to church in his Porsche. And uh, he's wearing Italian shoes a tailored suit and a silk tie. Now, obviously, he hasn't been to our church before, <clears throat> but, uh, but that's all right. Um, his money is invested. His plastic is golden. He lives like he flies, first class. He's young. His belly is flat. His eyes are sharp. He's mastered the three Ps, prosperity, posterity, and power. He arrives just a little bit late because he wants to be Noticed. Arriving a little bit late also is another man. And this man is obviously not wealthy. He comes in late hoping not to be seen by anyone. This man is obviously poor. His clothes are ragged and dirty. He smells. He's a bit disoriented and perhaps even a little bit high. The usher makes a beeline for the yuppie. <laughs> Man, are we glad to see you here today. Come and sit in the choicest seat we have in church. By the way, the choicest seats in church are in the front row. They're always available to you, by the way. I know the back rows are cool too, but, you know, they're, they're up here. So uh, the usher says, wow, we're so glad. We'd love to give you the choicest seat. You know how we do sometimes Father's Day? We put loungers over here for the dads that win the drunk. Well, that's where the choicest seats are. Would be and, and as the usher is seating him there, he's thinking to himself, Man, I, can't, I can't wait to pass the offering plate to this guy. Because, you know, the church needs money. And this guy looks like he's well healed. And maybe he's going to give a good, a good tithe. And, you know, I just can't wait. At the same time, this, this other man's back there kind of shuffling around. And the usher says, well, uh, you know, stand, stand in the back there. Uh, kind of stay out of the way. And I'm sure the usher thought at the same time that, well, this man doesn't have a dime to his name. In fact, he's thinking, not only does this man, when it comes to the offering, not going to contribute, uh, he's going to maybe be like Bill Cosby, you know, that put scotch tape on his fingers, so when you reach in the offering plate, you might pull something out. This man is going to be drag on the economy of the church. See, this man is going to cost the church. He's not going to contribute to the church. He's going to cost the church because he has no food and no clothing and he has no place to stay. It's going to cost us money to put him through rehab. It's going to cost... So just sit in, stand in the back there, and if that's not good, just sit on the floor. Jesus says, um, that's favoritism. It's partiality. That's discrimination. And the word he uses is evil. Now, he, he gives two arguments against this behavior. The first argument is this. 
Favoritism is contrary to the heart of God. Favoritism is contrary to the heart of God. Now, there, the Bible is rife with examples of this. So you don't have to know the Bible very well to think of dozens of examples in the Bible of this. God chooses, for some reason, the poor. He chooses the humble. He says, I want you. I want you. I want you. He chooses the brokenhearted. He chooses the meek. And the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, especially the first part of chapter 5, he, he talks about all of those people who are welcome into the kingdom. He accepts and welcomes those who are society, who society shuns. The woman taken in adultery. The blind man. The Samaritan. The poor woman. The tax collector. All of these people that we know these stories so well about. All of these people were shunned by society. Society basically said, you're not contributing to society. You're a drain on society. We don't want you. We don't want to bother with you. We don't want to mess with you. You're no good. Stay away. But you look at the Bible and the people that Jesus valued, the people that were called by God in the Old Testament, you look at that, uh, the champions of our faith. David was a lowly shepherd. Moses was a murderer. Gideon belonged to the lowest tribe. He was the lowest part of a family in the lowest tribe of Israel. Uh, you couldn't get any lower than Gideon was. Peter, a denier, a liar. James, a jealous brother. And me? Me? Well, my sins are too numerous to mention. Each one of these people, each one of them, not the Pharisees, not the people that were religious, not the people that were wealthy, each one of them, God says, I value your heart. Your heart matters to me. That all the parables in Matthew 10 through 15 are about the same thing. Your heart matters to me. See, many of us, I think all of us, when we're at the worst, we value people that contribute to society. No, nothing wrong with that. But we also have a tendency to see them as somehow better, I don't know, more productive, uh, but more than how they somehow connect to society. We tend to see people and grade them based on how they, well, how they treat us. Uh, are they somebody that can give us something that we might need? Are they somebody that is maybe a little bit higher than us so that we can be proud of being around them? What is it that we value? Jesus said, I value people's hearts. Jesus said, I don't look upon the face to see what I value. I look upon the heart. Jesus said, whose soul is more worthy? This righteous Pharisee with this very wealthy and beautiful or this poor widow who gives everything she has, whose soul is more worthy. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how that we've been called to be fishers of men. And I love that because I love fishing. And I love fishing for men. I love sharing the gospel of Jesus with people who are lost. And when it comes to fishers of men, though, we have a tendency to think of fishing. I want the best, biggest prize fish I can possibly catch. I mean, I want that one to put up on the wall. I want that one to show what a great fisherman I am. And, and there's, there's a sense in me that that's really kind of alive in me. And, and we all kind of have some of that. But God says this. God says, I want them all. 
There's no catch and release with God. I want them all. Tall, short, fat, thin, brilliant, dull, wealthy, poor, good, evil, black, white, red, brown, beautiful, plain, sophisticated, dull, educated, simple, motivated, lazy, cool, square. I want them all. I've told you before about our niece, my niece, my sister, Joyce, her granddaughter, uh, Devin. Devin's what now? 13? 13 years old. Uh, she was born with severe downs. She has a mental age of about, they say between 18 months and two and a half years of age. Uh, Devin is uh, fat and she's short and her expressions, her face is distorted. You've seen down children. You know what I'm talking about. Um, her mom is a single mom, has uh, no money. And uh, so, so Devin's kind of, kind of the lowest. In fact, uh, Devin is a drain on our society. See, especially in California. Uh, that's where she lives. Um, Devin is one that costs. You know, she, she's a drain on society. She, uh, she takes away money from, from your streets and improving your life and, and keeping your taxes. So she's a real drain. She's kind of a pain in that way. And Well, Devin is um, this beautiful, passionate, little girl. We were over there a year and a half ago at Christmas and Aunt Sherry loves Devin and Aunt Sherry was sitting next to her and talking to her and she said, Devin, what's your favorite song? And Devin said, Jesus loves me. Well, that was definitive. And then Aunt Sherry, I don't know if she made a mistake, I don't think it was a mistake. She said, well, would you like to sing that for me? Well, Devin said, sure. And so at the top of her lungs in Denny's restaurant in southeast San Diego, Jesus loves me, this I know. And you can't hardly tell the word. And so Sherry and I look at each other and Joyce and Bob, her grandparents and her mom, Cindy, we started singing along with her, you know. So we're all singing it. And you know what was so awesome about this? This is in Denny's in southeast San Diego. Many of the other patrons started singing too. They saw Devin. She's drained on society. She really doesn't offer anything. She has, offers nothing to, you know, society, uh, nothing, uh, she just costs, you know, the, this beautiful, wonderful, delightful, godly little girl. Do you think that God has lifted up her face? She's not very pretty, short and fat, and complete drain on society, but Jesus lifts her face and says, honey, I choose you. It's favoritism. Discrimination. It's, it's, it's the opposite of the heart of God. It's contrary to the heart of God. God sees every heart equally. There's no value to Him in terms of who is higher or lower. He sees every heart as some, something that matters. Second argument we find in our text is that favoritism is contrary to the kingdom of God. I want to give you two snapshots. The first snap, well, let me first of all read verse 5 in our text. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised to those who love Him? Verse 5. Snapshot number 1. Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Here, Jesus is speaking to thousands of people on the side of the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee and 
you know the routine. All of these people out there were just wonderful people and they were wanting to hear the Word of God so much. And, and scattered among them were the Pharisees and the religious rulers and the bright and the sharp and the moneyed and, 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 and the power brokers and the type A's and all the, the really cool people were out there too, scattered among all the poor and the broken and all of the rest of them. And Jesus was going to pronounce who was going to be invited to the kingdom of heaven. People were buzzing about this. Well, actually, they weren't really buzzing because they already knew the answer. They knew the answer was well, the rich and the, the, the wealthy and the religious. They're going to be invited to, God, to Jesus' kingdom because after all, you know, that's what we've always believed. And so... Jesus begins and he said, a blessed, blessed means, by the way, you are blessed and highly favored. That's what that word means. Blessed, happy. You are blessed and highly favored. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the crowd just kind of went numb. What did he say? What happened to blessed are, blessed are the moneyed? Blessed are the ones who have the the big bank accounts. <laughs> blessed are the ones who have the significant savings. What, what happened to them? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he wasn't talking about poor in the bank book. That came later. He was talking about someone whose heart was broken over their own sin. They feel sad because they have sinned. That's what it means to have a broken spirit. And that's a good thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the mourners. So this, this woman over here that's always crying, and again, she's a drain on the whole community, right? Because she's a down, downer Debbie, and you know, she's a pain in the, you know, because she's always crying, always needs attention, always needs prayer, you know, always needs, she's a real, Jesus said, see that woman right over there? She's invited to the kingdom. I want her. I want her. I want her. I died for her. I want her. Blessed are the meek. The meek. <laughs> What happened to type A, hard-charging, you know, leaders, uh, czars of the community, and blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Wow, what happened to blessed and highly favored are the rich and the famous and the fully sated and the one who have bread and water all the time. Blessed are the merciful and pure in heart and the peacemakers. And the last one, it's not a surprise to James, he said, blessed are the persecuted. First snapshot of the kingdom of heaven. People that are going to be there are going to be surprising, surprised to some of us. People that are going to be there aren't going to always be the ones that have the nice middle class lives or the light colored skin. And that's the other snapshot of the kingdom of God. And we find this snapshot as a prophetic vision. Uh, our Friday, men, Friday morning men group has been studying the book of Revelation. And uh, the vision that we have in chapter 7 of Revelation is looking in the future when uh, God makes the new heaven and the new earth. Everything's changed. Okay? Everything's perfect. Everything's beautiful. And here's what it says in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Because it's a picture of the way God wants the kingdom to look 
And there's no a distinction there of whether you're poor or rich or whether you're black or white, uh, whether you're this or that. But there is only a description of... And that word, by the way, all peoples, that word ethos, okay, that's the Greek word, ethos, it means ethnicities. All ethnicities. All who call upon the name of Jesus. All who say, yes, God, and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, whether they're raised in a Muslim country or South America or Borneo or Bangladesh, all who call upon the name of the Jesus, all nations, all people, all tribes, all every nation will stand before Jesus and worship and praise Him. Every one of them will have their faces lifted up. See, the problem with lowering our face It says that the heart of God and the kingdom of God are wrong. It says that we should judge on externals and we should judge on our differences. We should judge on based on how we think or believe or look or act or talk. Jesus said, no, I I want them all. (laughs) I want them all. Jesus said, I don't care the color of their skin. In fact, I kind of like the dark-skinned people. That's what Jesus was. I kind of like them and Actually, I just like them all. Sometimes we forget who the enemy is. The enemy is not they. The enemy is Satan. And Satan wants more than anything to divide us and to get us to look at other people as they's. Other people as someone who's different from me, therefore not as good as me. The enemy is Satan. The enemy is not other people. Remember Jonah? I wish I had time to go into Jonah's story, but I don't. Jonah was the one that Jesus wanted, or God wanted him to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And, and when they finally heard the gospel and they turned to God, Jonah was just totally ticked off. You know, my enemies are saved and I'm mad about it. Don't you think sometimes we have some of that in us? Jesus says, I want them all. And that's the kingdom of God, to bring hope, not disgust and disapproval, but to bring hope to the world and to all the world. That's why it matters that we're involved in streetlight, ministering to girls who have been trafficked. That's why it matters that we tell you about Jacob's Journey House and other ministries that are in the trenches doing the work that sometimes we don't want to get our hands dirty doing. Because Jesus looks at every sleeping man on the concrete and says, I want that one. I really want that one. Society said, if he would just disappear, all would be better because he is really a drag on our society. Jesus says, I want him. And if we are believers, if we are the hands and feet of Jesus, you figure it out. What are we supposed to do? Well, the last uh, part of my message, it's gonna, I'm going to have to cut it short. But the solution is what you would expect. The solution is mercy. Look at that last verse. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy means to withhold punishment. To not give what is due you. So we're all sinners. We all deserve death. We all deserve, we don't deserve God's love. So we recognize that. We know that. We believe that. 
But God's mercy says, no, that, that's not good enough for me. Jesus stands in the gap and says, I, wanna, I died for your sins and I want you to be with me forever. So, so that's mercy. So think of all of the sins that you have been forgiven of. That's the mercy of God. And he says, I want in the same way for you, to, the mercy that you've received, I want you to give that away to others. To others? You mean those people that have dark colored faces and those people that, that have a wrong sexual orientation and those people that are homeless and, and users and, and druggies and alcoholics? And, I mean, those people? Yes. Yes. So the parable, you know the parable, Matthew 18. 10,000 talents. King says to a servant, you owe me 10,000 talents, which is about 10 times the gross national product of Jerusalem. So this guy owed a lot of money. Could never pay it back. In a million years, he could have never paid that back. And he begs the king for mercy. Please have mercy on me, king. I will serve you forever. I'll love you forever. And the king said, okay, your debt is wiped out. 10,000 talents. Your debt is wiped out. Money he could never, ever in all of his life pay back, ever. It's wiped out. And the guy was so excited. Oh, king, you're so gracious and you're so loving. You're so good. I'll serve you all the rest of my days. And, and he, as he leaves the palace, uh, he runs into a guy that owes him a hundred bucks, a hundred denarii, another servant. And he takes the servant by the scruff of the neck and starts choking him. He says, you pay me back my hundred dollars. You owe me a hundred dollars. And he throws him into jail. He has him thrown into jail. And Jesus says, now, now, now what is going on with you folks? And he's talking to all of us, that, that you don't understand what Jesus is saying there. That you have been forgiven of so much sin, you've been cleansed of so much darkness in your soul, and yet somehow we want to take a hold of somebody that we don't understand or don't like and just strangle them. Do you remember the old Star Kiss Tuna commercial featuring Charlie the Tuna? <laughs> he was always working overtime, trying to be accepted by Star Kiss, but again and again, he would hear those dreaded words, What? Sorry, Charlie, when it comes to tuna, Starkist accepts only the best. Well, let me tell you something. God accepts all of us, even the Charlies. If you're like me, you're a Charlie. Our community, our schools, our churches, our places of work are swarming with Charlies. People looking for others to recognize them and see value in them and accept them. They're looking for mercy. God is calling us to do exactly that. He's calling us to put our prejudice into the garbage disposal and go out of our way to include others and treat them with dignity. He's calling us to quit labeling and criticizing and start loving them as Jesus loved them. He called us to start looking at people the way Jesus looks at people. Years ago, many years ago, after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was worshiping as he always did in a a large Episcopalian church in Virginia. And in the church, of course, it had always been segregated. It was certainly not allowed to have a black person in their church. But now that the slaves were free, one Sunday morning, one of the former slaves wandered into this large Presbyterian, large Episcopalian church looking for a place to worship God. Now, I don't think he was trying to do anything because chances are he was lynched after the service was over. But he came in, couldn't find a seat, Every seat was filled with these religious people. And he finally just sat down right in the front, second row back, and without knowing it, sat right next to Robert E. Lee, who was on the end of the aisle. And uh, so Lee didn't say anything, but uh, went through the service, and after the service they served communion. When it came time to serve communion through the row, uh, Robert E. Lee was able to reach down 
to this black man, this former slave, and say, the body and the blood of Christ for you. The whole church watched, wondering what was going to happen. And the man took communion. And afterwards, they were just furious at Lee. Why would a man of your status and position do such a thing? Lee replied, that famous reply, if you've heard it before, before the cross, the ground is level. Before the cross, the ground is level. Would you bow your heads with me, please? The Bible says clearly in Galatians chapter 3 that there is no slave or free. There is no Greek or Jew. There is no man or woman. And he would add quickly, there is no black or white for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us with this message today? Lord, you've, you've stirred in me some things this week that I didn't even know were in there, some prejudices and some discrimination things inside of me that I just don't like. And I, Lord, here's what I want to ask for our people today. Would you give us your eyes to look at every person through your eyes? If we do that, we're going to do the right thing. If we do that, we're going to say the right thing. We're going to think the right thing. We're going to be the right people. Lord, would you give me your eyes to see every human being that I come in contact with? Lord, forgive us where we've failed you. Forgive us for our prejudice. Forgive us for our discrimination. Forgive us for our favoritism. And may we recognize that at the cross, the ground is level for all. To this end, we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.